0: Hi, welcome to the landscape of Cranes Cleveland Podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. Political watchers had their eyes on Ohio as the state held an important primary on Tuesday. Now that the dust has settled, we've asked Dr. John Green, distinguished professor of political science and the director of the Ray C. Bliss Institute of Applied Politics at the University of Akron to join us. Dr. Green, thanks for being with us today.
1: It's a great pleasure.
0: Before we talk about these particular races, let's talk about how the state of Ohio has been reshaped. 30 years ago, for example, Franklin County was a Republican stronghold, and that has changed. What's different about Ohio politics than, say, in 1992, as far as the state goes, where the Democrat and Republican strongholds are?
1: Well, one of the major differences is that over the last 30 or 40 years, the process of exit from the big cities into the suburbs has done a lot to transform Ohio politics, Ohio politics is still a politics of regions. The differences, say, between northeastern Ohio and southwestern Ohio are still really very important. But within the regions, there's been a major change. The central cities, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and so forth, are heavily Democratic these days. So that means that a once-strong Republican Stronghold like Franklin County is now on balance a, a Democratic county. Part of that process is that the suburbs around these large cities have grown, and they're, of course, very strongly Republican. And the farther you go out in the suburbs, within each region, the more Republican they become. And partly that's because the sprawling suburbs now have merged with many of the rural areas of Ohio, a very traditional sorts of places, but now increasingly conservative. So our regions still matter in Ohio, but within the regions, a huge difference between the big cities per se and their surrounding suburbs and countryside.
0: Let's start our conversation with some talk about the race that most people were watching was that Republican primary to determine who would receive the nomination to run in the general election to replace outgoing U.S. Senator Rob Portman. That was won by author and venture capitalist J.D. Vance. I guess the big question is, would Vance have won if he didn't receive Mr. Trump's uh, endorsement?
1: You know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that, at least in this particular race, that former President Trump's endorsement of J.D. Vance really made a difference you know, it was a very competitive primary because the perception was that Ohio has moved in a Republican direction. There were all kinds of candidates that that wanted that senatorial nomination. And Vance was one of them. Uh, but through most of the campaign, he was back in the pack. He really wasn't near the front. Uh, he's a very interesting candidate, and a lot of people were surprised. That he wasn't attracting more attention but then when he received the trump endorsement by the way many of his competitors were also looking for the trump endorsement that really pro- quickly propelled him to the front of the pack in polling and then that process continued so when election day came he actually outperformed the polls getting just about a third of the vote in this very competitive and crowded. Uh, primary field. So I th- I think we, we have to make the case that at least in this situation, the Trump endorsement really helped fans.
0: Now nearly all those candidates who are running for the nomination sought Mr. Trump's endorsement with the exception really of Matt Dolan. How is that going to play out in the future? Are candidates going to have to hedge their bets a little bit on the Republican Party by saying, I want Mr. Trump's endorsement, but if I don't get it, I you know, I still gonna continue on or is it just going to be I have to have this endorsement?
1: You know, I think it's a a, a kind of a complicated picture. You know, because President Trump's endorsement clearly can help candidates. Uh, there may be a situation where it, it will end up hurting candidates because uh, President former President Trump is still a controversial figure within the Republican Party, let alone, you know, the broader electorate in Ohio. There are anti-Trump Republicans uh, who who don't like the previous president, um, even though they might agree with him on certain of the policies that he pursued. So for a lot of of candidates, it's going to be, you know, the classic tightrope, you know, wanting the support of the president certainly of the president's supporters, but not necessarily wanting to align closely with the candidate and um, with the former president. And of course, being careful to build a broader coalition You know, Ohio's not an especially good bellwether state anymore. Last couple of presidential elections, it's it's been gone Republican, gone for President Trump. But it's still a very competitive state. It's still a very diverse state. And candidates in both parties, Democrats and Republicans, have to seek a broader coalition. And, And that can be a problem when you have a controversial figure like Donald Trump.
0: When we look at the map from Tuesday night, do we have a feeling for where Mr. Vance's support came from in terms of regions of the state, or was he well-backed all the way around?
1: Well, you know, he did particularly well in the Appalachian regions of the state, up in northeastern Ohio, reaching up into the Mahoning Valley, and then down, you know, that long curve of the Ohio River into the Cincinnati area. But he, you know, to get a third of the vote, he had to get more than Appalachian voters. And he did pretty well in in rural areas all across the state. And in many of the suburban strongholds uh, surrounding the major cities in the state, he was also competitive. So, uh, you know, sort of good news for the Republicans is that although Vance only got a third of the vote, his um, support was broad enough that it suggests that he may be able to expand that and unify the Republican Party for the fall election. But a lot of work remains for him to do.
0: At the risk of saying you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore, how much of a political future does Josh Mandel have? He's starting to pile up losses.
1: You know, I I think that uh, Josh Mandel's uh, career is certainly at a, a turning point, you know, he may have um, outworn his welcome with uh, m- many uh, Republican voters. It uh, remains to be seen. Um, th- we have a long history in Ohio of comebacks of one kind or another, but uh, this certainly has to be a disappointment for Mandel and his supporters.
0: For a while during this campaign, it seemed that businessman Mike Gibbons had taken the lead only to fade pretty badly down the stretch. Why do you think his campaign faltered?
1: Well, you know, this was a, a campaign where almost all of the major candidates were very well funded, even with their personal funds or with funds that they were able uh, to raise. So a very, very expensive race. Uh, and I think uh, Mike Gibbons spent a lot of money um, towards the beginning and the middle of the campaign and, and really did get a lot of very favorable attention, you know, given his business background. But then he had that uh, unfortunate confrontation with Joss Van uh, in one of the debates, uh, which ended up being portrayed uh, that uh, Mr. Gibbons didn't have respect for Mandel's military service, you know, and I, and I think that really ended up hurting him. W- whether that was a fair accusation or not is a different question, but I think that caused the, the Gibbons boomlet fade.
0: Outgoing Senator Portman had endorsed Jane Timken, but she never really seemed to gain traction while she sought Mr. Trump's endorsement. It's usually a good thing to have that current seat holder endorse you. What does this say about the state of what we used to call Country Club or Wall Street Republicans in Ohio? Is, are they, is the, you know, the free market, no tariff, anti-Soviet Union Republicans? What's become of them? Are, there, are, are they still have any power left?
1: Well, you know, a lot of the traditional Republicans that used to just dominate uh, the, the Republican Party have competitors now. Uh, You know, there's a very strong principled conservative position, um, which is often concerned with issues other than free trade and free markets, although, you know, tends to be, um, you know, uh, more for free enterprise than for government control. But then, of course, you have the Trump voters, many of whom just a a few years ago would have been considered Democratic voters, you know, blue collar, less well educated. working class people. So the the traditional Republicans have a lot of competitors within the party. It's made the party potentially more competitive, uh, but it's also meant that the old levers of power don't work quite as well. Senator Portman, very moderate Republican, uh, even in these days of highly polarized politics, uh, he was much more towards the center. And I think James Temkin tried very hard early on you know, to build the kind of of coalition that uh, a lot of people think can still work in Ohio, which is to bring together first the different factions of the party. And she tried to do that by seeking President Trump's endorsement, but also being the the candidate of the organization of the the traditional Republican uh, office holders and power brokers, it didn't work out. She was trying to thread a needle And I think she tried really, really hard. I think she would have been a a very strong general election candidate. But for whatever reason, it just didn't come together for her.
0: Dr. John Green joins us today. He is a distinguished professor of political science. He's also the director of the Ray C. Bliss Institute of Applied Politics at the University of Akron. He's with us on The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. Doctor, on the other side, the Democratic side, Tim Ryan won his party's nomination to run for that seat, uh, defeating his rivals pretty handily. Um, Were you surprised at that margin of victory at all?
1: No, not at all. Um, you know, Tim Ryan's uh, been a, a feature of, of Ohio Democratic politics for many years now. And it seemed like every two or every four years, there was talk that uh, Tim Ryan would want run, run statewide, perhaps for governor or for senator. And sure enough, this year he decided uh, to run for the open Senate seat. And, uh, you know, he had some token opposition in the uh, Democratic primary. Um, You know, really no one that had the kind of resources or name recognition to give him a serious uh, competition. So I wasn't surprised that he won by that big margin. But the Ryan nomination, along with the Vance nomination over in the Republican Party, sets up the dynamic for a very interesting general election campaign, because in, in some ways, both Ryan and Vance are talking about the issues that Donald Trump made famous, which, we're already big issues in Ohio. Skepticism about free trade, concern about immigration, real concern about generating jobs and um, economic development. Um, already, uh, Tim Ryan has been running ads, he ran in the, in the primary, we'll start seeing them, I'm sure for the general election, talking about America first. Let's not be Democrats, let's not be Republicans, let's be Americans first. Now that, that's not exactly the Vance Trump message But it's very similar, and I think both campaigns are going to want to wage their campaigns on those types of issues, which appeal a lot to uh, blue collar people and and, uh, small businessmen and farmers in a state like Ohio, and maybe try to stay away from some of the cultural issues, which have become very divisive in Ohio and across the nation.
0: The thought is that Vance will try to run, some, in some corners, they say that he'll run as a populist, you know, emphasizing his upbringing in Appalachia. But he, it's going to be kind of hard to run against Tim Ryan on that. Tim Ryan can make similar kinds of claims, can he?
1: Oh, we certainly can. I mean, Tim Ryan comes from a working class background and, you know, has represented the Youngstown area very well um, by articulating those types of issues before they were, were widely recognized as important at the national level. So I think it's going to be a really, really interesting race. And because the candidates are very similar in background and very similar in their key issues it could could turn out to be a very contentious race Um, and it may separate the race a little bit from the sort of national trend Um, as i'm sure many of your listeners know this is a midterm election and traditionally the party that controls the white house in this case the democrats with joe biden have a difficult time in the midterm election so uh, but but this race may have its own dynamic quite apart from what's happening in national politics.
0: One of the major issues that's going to loom over this election is the possibility that the Supreme Court could overturn Roe versus Wade. I would imagine the Democrats will run saying, we need to elect people who can help us deal with issue on the legislative basis. How do Republicans run on it? The idea if you see, you voted for our party and we finally got what we wanted in getting this law overturned?
1: Well, you know, it's really really um, interesting thing. And some of the polling we did at the Bliss Institute, we actually ask about the uh, case before the Supreme Court, the Mississippi abortion law. Um, and um, what we found was Ohioans were very closely divided on that particular case. Now, when you move out beyond, uh, you know, that particular take on abortion, of course, there's a lot of complexity and nuance in people's views. But Ohio, like, like the nation, um, it's pretty sharply divided. Our polling showed a very slight uh, pro-choice edge Um, And and interestingly enough, that's less of a problem for Democrats, which tends to be a pro-choice party, you know, from top to bottom. But it's more of a Republican problem. You know, many working class, deeply religious, rural Republicans are pro-life and have been for a while. And we see that in some of the legislative efforts to regulate abortion that have occurred in Ohio. Uh, But upper-status Republicans, particularly well-educated professionals, much more likely to be pro-choice. In fact, many of the women in those groups who, of course, reside in the suburbs, um, this is a particular issue for them. So I think it's going to be more uh, difficult for the Republicans to handle the abortion issue, even though, as you say, from the point of view of many people in the party, these are exciting times, than it will be for the Democrats, where there's more of a consensus, at least on maintaining something like the status quo
0: over the years in my conversations with voters, I've talked to them about Roe versus Wade. And I've often wondered if it has provided political cover for some voters who will say, well, you find they disagree with a particular candidate, but then they get to 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 the abortion issue and they say, well, I have to vote for this person because he is against abortion or she's against abortion. Even though their other positions disagree with the candidate, if if this gets overturned, do the Republicans lose a wedge issue?
1: You know, it's a really interesting question because if the Supreme Court goes ahead and um, overturns Roe v. Wade and some of its companion cases. Far from clear that that's going to happen, by the way. But if it does, what it means is this issue goes, the abortion issue goes from being a second-tier issue well, a lot of people have opinions, but it's generally not the key voting issue, it, it gets elevated, and it may become, for many voters, a first-tier issue, which is to say uh, one of the key things they look for when they decide how to vote. And uh, this could be, could be interesting. By effectively returning the politics to the state level, it makes abortion a much bigger conflict than it would otherwise have been.
0: Let's talk about the state politics. Governor DeWine won the chance to run again in the fall. How about his margin of victory? About what you thought it would be?
1: Yeah, it was about. Um, I was uh, not surprised that uh, Governor DeWine was re-nominated, uh, partly because he pa- faced three conservative opponents. You know, here in Ohio, as in many states, a lot of controversy about the handling of the COVID nineteen pandemic. You know, early on, there was a lot of support for Governor DeWine and many other governors, Democrats, and Republicans, but as the pandemic went on and, and some of the economic problems of mandates and lockdowns uh, began to manifest themselves, you know, there was a good bit of criticism, and many of the more conservative voters in Ohio and conservative activists very critical of DeWine, but because there were three candidates in the race, I, I was pretty sure that uh, DeWine was going to win. Uh, and its margin was pretty close to 50%, just a little bit under 50% of the vote. I think that's good under the circumstances, um, but it does show what happens when you have a multi-candidate race. Um, if it had been a two-candidate race, I still think DeWine would have won, but it might've been a good bit closer.
0: What we saw in in the election in twenty sixteen with Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump is that a number of Democratic voters sat out the election. They didn't. They couldn't pull the the lever for Hillary Clinton. Is there a chance with with uh, Governor Dewine that those people who were opposed to his handling of the pandemic will vote for his opponent or sit the election out just to send a message?
1: You know that's always a problem. You know when when we think about a midterm election, we usually think that the party that holds the White House has the turnout problem, because people are you know might who voted for the Democratic president in this case, um, uh, Joe Biden, might be discouraged, and this is a very common pattern historically. But you know in the case of Governor DeWine, there may be a similar problem that a lot of the strong uh bedrock conservative voters may feel that it, it, there's really no candidate for their, them to support. And one thing to watch there is what would be the, might be the fortunes of a libertarian gubernatorial candidate. You know, our minor parties in the United States very rarely win elections, but in close elections, they can determine which of the major party candidates win. And I could imagine some of these conservative voters not voting, but other ones perhaps voting for a libertarian candidate. So it's really, you know, maybe out of protest. So it's really pretty, pretty interesting. It just shows you how complex turnout is. It's not one thing. It's a combination of a number of different things.
0: In the Democratic race, former Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley defeated the former mayor of Cincinnati, John uh, Cranley, by a fairly healthy margin. She's going to talking about abortion rights, a minimum wage, pushing for gun control. She's staking out some solid Democratic positions. Will she run from center left then or even more to the left? Or how do you you think she's going to run her campaign against line?
1: Well, you know, I wasn't surprised that uh, Nan Whaley won the nomination because she had run statewide before. And one of the rules of Ohio politics, which still stands, is oftentimes you have to run a couple of times and lose, yeah. or at least once before you can be competitive and, and, and go on to win, because it's such a big and, and diverse state. I um, mean, it's hard for voters to get to know candidates unless they've run statewide. But I think uh, Nan is following sort of the classing pattern. She was able to win the, the Democratic nomination. She's now going to try to consolidate the Democratic base. It's going to be more difficult, I mean, less difficult for her because she won by a large margin. But that means talking about uh, things like abortion and things like uh, collective bargaining and those types of issues. Once the base is consolidated, then I think we will see her run from the center um, because that's the best place to be when facing an incumbent Republican.
0: I'm a member of the 11th District, and I know a number of people watch that race closely with Chantel Brown, the incumbent, once again, defeating former state Senator Nina Turner. In the first time they ran against each other, I think a lot of people were surprised that Brown won, but this time it didn't seem so shocking. I don't know if shocking is the right word, but it, I think people were not so surprised that she was able to defeat her again. Um, what did you think of that race?
1: Well, you know, I, I was not surprised that Chantel Brown won. I mean, she's a very impressive candidate and has strong connections with a lot of the key groups, including the party organization, that you need to to be successful in a general election. You know, in the in the first contest... Uh, where she prevailed it was a very crowded field very difficult to project because there were so many candidates running but she won that she's uh, done a good job in washington representing the a a former district the district's been redrawn for uh, the 2022 campaign i think she's impressed a lot of people and then uh, interestingly enough i think nina turner was perhaps uh, did not benefit from the fact that it was a two candidate so there have been some other candidates in there. Um, her support among the more progressive voters might have been more effective.
0: How about the 13th Congressional District? There we have a, a sign of a political family and Amelia Sykes, who's a member of the Ohio House, the minority leader, her family's been in politics for many times. She'll be facing up against Madison Gilbert, who's an attorney and a, and a supporter of Trump and been endorsed by Trump. How do you see that race playing out?
1: You know, I think it's a really interesting race, partly because the district in, in, has been substantially redrawn and now includes almost all of Sunna County, which in Akron, which is the city of Akron, very democratic place. And that would be the uh, strong support for Amelia Sykes. But now it includes um, uh, territory to the east, uh, including some of the part of the district that Tim Ryan used to represent in Congress. Uh, so, you know, I think it's gonna be a very competitive race um, because of um, Amelia Sykes' long experience in politics, I think she has to have the edge. Although, I, I guess if you look at the raw numbers in that district, it's really very competitive. Maybe even with a slight a Republican edge. The Republican candidate is really a newcomer to electoral politics. And you know what we mentioned just a moment ago about you know having to run a couple of times statewide—that often appeals uh, occurs in a congressional district as well, just for voters to get to know the candidate, but it is definitely a race to watch this fall.
0: Let's talk about one other race, which is the seventh, which is shaping up with former Trump aide Max Miller facing a Democratic media entrepreneur, Matt Diemer, uh, two candidates that that people don't really know. So how do they make themselves known and how do you think this is going to shake out?
1: Well, you know, it's really interesting, interesting case. Um, The congressman that represented a lot of that, uh, Congressman Gibbs, actually decided to retire because he didn't like the way that district was being redrawn. It's clearly a conservative district, but because the candidates are both new to the voters, you know both of them have um, you know a good chance to be able to introduce themselves to the voters for the first time. You know there's often always a talk about, well how much does money matter in politics? And, and the answer is it, it matters, but sometimes it's not the determinative factor when c- candidates are well known. But in this case, we're both can- neither candidate is well known in the district. Uh, The campaign spending by the candidates and by outside groups may turn out to be the key thing because the voters will find out what they're going to need to know about or what they will know about the candidates from the campaign and the campaign advertising.
0: Let's circle back really quickly back to the Chantel Brown race because you mentioned outside money. I mean, there was a ton of outside money, in particular from uh, organizations who are supportive of Israel coming in. Have you ever seen that kind of outside money come into the state for a race like that?
1: You know, it's happened in the past, it's uh, not uh, unprecedented, Uh, but you know, at that, we've talked a little bit about some of the divisions in the Republican party, but there are divisions in the Democratic party as well. And uh, many key democratic groups, including the Jewish community, uh, of other groups as well are, um, you know, they find themselves in conflict with the progressive wing of the Democratic party. Now, That's not to suggest that these groups are conservatives in the sense of the Republican party, but they adhere to more traditional democratic positions on things like support for the state of Israel. So I wasn't surprised to see all that money come in. I think we're going to see a lot of that, because I think the theme for this election in Ohio, and in fact nationally, is the Democratic and Republican parties sorting out their coalitions. You know, groups that were once in one party are now in motion. Groups that were in other part in, in the other party may be moving and then there's a whole bunch of groups that are that are standing pat but they don't quite understand where they fit in to the the political structure so going to be a really fascinating election and have enormous implications for the next presidential election (sighs) which begins officially at january 1 2023
0: we will have plenty to talk about dr green i'm sure you'll join us again in in the fall and then after the election to discuss the results thanks so much for being with us today
1: You're welcome. Take care.
0: Dr. John Green is a distinguished professor of political science and director of the Ray C. Bliss Institute of Applied Politics at the University of Akron. He joined us today for The Landscape. We're glad you could join us, too. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for being with us, and we'll talk again soon.